Part two, chapter eleven of the Tree of Heaven by May Sinclair. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Part two, the Vortex, chapter eleven. Three years passed. It was the autumn of nineteen ten. Anthony's house was empty for the time being of all its children except Dorothea michael was in the beginning of his last year at cambridge nicholas was in his second year he had taken up mathematics and theoretical mechanics in the long vacation when the others went into the country he stayed behind to work in the engineering sheds of the morse motor company john was at cheltenham veronica was in dresden dorothea had left newnham a year ago having taken a first class in economics as anthony came home early one evening in october he found a group of six strange women in the lane waiting outside his garden door in attitudes of conspiracy four of them older women stood together in a close ring the two others young girls hung about near but a little apart from the ring as if they desired not to identify themselves with any state of mind outside their own by their low sibilant voices the daring sidelong sortie of their bright eyes their gestures furtive and irrepressible you gathered that there was unanimity on one point all six considered themselves to have been discovered at anthony's approach they moved away with slow casual steps passed through the posts at the bottom of the lane and plunged down the steep path as if under the impression that the nature of the ground covered their retreat they bobbed up again one after the other when the lane was clear the first to appear was a tall handsome bad-tempered-looking girl she spoke first it's a damned shame of them to keep us waiting like this she propped herself up against anthony's wall and smouldered there in her dark sullen beauty we were here at six sharp when they know we were told not to let on where we meet we're led into a trap said a grey-haired woman i say who is dorothea harrison she's the girl who roped rosalind in she's all right yes but are her people all right rosalind knows them the grey-haired woman spoke again well if you think this lane is a good place for a secret meeting i don't are you aware that the yard of jackstraw's castle is behind that wall what's to prevent them from bringing up five or six coppers and planting them there why they've only got to post one tech at the top of the lane and another at the bottom and we're done trapped i call it rotten it's all right here they are dorothea harrison and rosalind jervis came down the lane at a leisure stride their long coats buttoned up to their chins and their hands in their pockets their gestures were devoid of secrecy or any guile each had a joyous air of being in command of being able to hold up the whole adventure at her will or let it rip rosalind jervis was no longer a bouncing fluffy flapper in three years she had shot up into the stature of command she slouched stooping a little from the shoulders and carried her pink face thrust forward as if leaning from a platform to address an audience from this salience her small chin retreated delicately into her pink throat is miss maud blackadder here she said marshalling her six the handsome girl detached herself slowly from anthony's wall what's the point she said of keeping us hanging about like this till all our faces are known to the police there's a johnny gone in there who can swear to me why didn't you two turn up before said the handsome girl 
because said dorothea that johnny was my father he was pounding on in front of us all up east heath road if we got here sooner i should have had to introduce you she looked at the six benevolently indulgently they might have been children whose behaviour amused her it was as if she had said i avoided that introduction not because it would have been dangerous and indiscreet but because it would have spoiled your fun for you she led the way into the garden and the house and through the hall into the schoolroom there they found eleven young girls who had come much too soon and mistaking the arrangements had rung the bell and allowed themselves to be shown in the schoolroom had been transformed into a sort of meeting-hall the big oblong table had been drawn across one end of it behind it were chairs for the speakers before it were three rows of chairs where the eleven young girls sat scattered expectant the six stood in the free space in front of the table and looked at rosalind with significance this said rosalind is our hostess miss dorothea harrison dorothy i think you've met mrs eden our treasurer this is our secretary miss valentina gilchrist miss ethel farmer miss winifred burstall dorothy greeted in turn mrs eden a pretty gentlewoman with a face of dreaming tragedy it was she who had defended rosalind outside the gate miss valentina gilchrist a middle-aged woman who displayed a large grey pompadour above a rosy face with turned-back features which when she was not excited had an incredulous quizzical expression miss gilchrist was the one who had said they had been led into a trap miss ethel farmer fair attenuated scholastic wearing pince-nez with an air of not seeing you and miss winifred burstall weather-beaten young at fifty wearing pince-nez with an air of seeing straight through you to the other side rosalind went on miss maud blackadder miss blackadder's curt bow accused rosalind of wasting time in meaningless formalities miss rosalind was at a loss the other girl the youngest of the eight came forward holding out a slender sallow white hand she was the one who had hung with miss blackadder in the background desmond she said phyllis desmond she shrugged her pretty shoulders and smiled slightly as much as to say she forgets what she ought to remember but it doesn't matter phyllis desmond was beautiful but for the moment her beauty was asleep stilled into hardness dorothy saw a long slender sallow white face between sleek bands of black hair black eyes dulled as if by a subtle film like breath on a black looking-glass a beautiful slender mouth pressed tight holding back the secret of its sensual charm dorothy thought she had seen her before but she couldn't remember where rosalind jervis looked at her watch with a business-like air paper and pencils were produced coats were thrown on the little school desks and benches in the corner where dorothy and her brothers had sat at their lessons with mr parsons some twelve years ago and the eight gathered about the big table rosalind taking the presidential chair which had once been mr parsons chair in the centre between miss gilchrist and miss blackadder miss burstall and miss farmer looked at each other and miss burstall spoke we understood that this was to be an informal meeting before we begin business i should like to ask one question i should like to know what we are and what we are here for we mrs eden miss valentina gilchrist miss maud blackadder and myself said rosalind in the tone of one dealing reasonably with an unreasonable person are the committee of the north hampstead branch of the women's franchise union 
Miss Gilchrist is our secretary, I am the president, and Miss Blackadder is, uh, the committee. By whom elected? This, said Miss Burstall, is most irregular. Rosalind went on. We are here to appoint a vice president, to elect members of the committee, and enlist subscribers to the union. These things will take time. We were punctual, said Miss Farmer. Rosalind did not even look at her. The moment had come to address the meeting. I take it that we are all agreed as to the main issue, that we have not come here to convert each other, that we all want women's franchise, that we all mean to have it, that we are all prepared to work for it, and, if necessary, to fight for it, to oppose the government that withholds it by every means in our power. By every constitutional means, Miss Burstall amended, and was told by Miss Gilchrist that if she desired proceedings to be regular, she must not interrupt the chairwoman. To oppose the government that refuses us the vote, whatever government it may be, regardless of party, by every means in our power. Rosalind's sentences were punctuated by a rhythmic sound of tapping. Miss Maud Blackadder twisted sideways on the chair she had pushed farther and farther back from the table, so as to bring herself completely out of line with the other seven. From time to time, rhythmically, twitching with impatience, struck her own leg with her own walking stick. Rosalind perorated. If we differ, we differ. Not as to our end, but solely as to the means we, personally and individually, are prepared to employ. She looked around. Agreed. Not agreed, said Dorothy and Miss Burstall and Miss Farmer all at once. I will now call on Miss Maud Blackadder to speak. She will explain to those of you who are strangers, she glanced comprehensively at the eleven young girls, the present program of the union. I protest, said Miss Burstall. There has been confusion. There really has, Rosalind, said Dorothy. You must get it straight. You can't start all at sixes and sevens. I protest, too. We all three protest, said Miss Farmer, frowning and blinking in an agony of protest. Silence, if you please, for the chairwoman, said Miss Gilchrist. May we not say one word? You may, said Rosalind, in your turn. I now call on Miss Blackadder to speak. At the sound of her own name, Miss Blackadder jumped to her feet. The walking stick fell to the floor with a light clatter and crash, preluding her storm. She jerked out her words at a headlong pace, as if to make up for the time the others had wasted in futilities. I am not going to say much. I am not going to take up your time. Too much time has been lost already. I am not a speaker. I am not a writer. I am not an intellectual woman. And if you ask me what I am, and what I am here for, and what I am doing in the Union, and what the Union is doing with me, and what possible use I, an untrained girl, can be to you clever women, she looked tempestuously at Miss Burstall and Miss Farmer, who did not flinch, I will tell you, I am a fighter. I am here to enlist volunteers. I am the recruiting sergeant for this district. That is the use my leaders, who should be your leaders, are making of me. Her head was thrown back, her body swayed, rocked from side to side, with a violent rhythm of her speech. If you ask me why they have chosen me, I will tell you. It's because I know what I want, and because I know how to get what I want. I know what I want. Oh, yes, you think that's nothing. You all think you know what you want. But do you? Do you? Of course we do. We want the vote. Nothing but the vote. Nothing but? Are you quite sure of that? 
can you even say you want it till you know whether there are things you want more what are you driving at you'll soon see what i'm driving at i drive straight and i ride straight and i don't funk my fences well say you all want the vote do you know how much you want it do you know how much you want to pay for it do you know what you're prepared to give up for it because if you don't know that you don't know how much you want it we want it as much as you do i imagine you want it as much as i do good then you're going to pay the price whatever the price is then you're ready to give up everything else your homes and your families and your friends and your incomes until you're enfranchised you are not going to own any man as father or brother or husband her voice rang with a deeper and stronger vibration or lover or friend and the man who does not agree with you the man who refuses you the vote the man who opposes your efforts to get the vote the man who whether he agrees with you or not will not help you to get it you count as your enemy that is wanting the vote that is wanting it as much as i do you women are you prepared to go against your men to give up your men there were cries of rather from two of the eleven young girls who had come too soon miss burstall shook her head and murmured hopeless confusion of thought if this is what it's going to be like heaven help us you really are getting a bit mixed said dorothy we protest protest then protest as much as you like then we shall know where we are then we shall get things straight then we can begin you all want the vote some of you don't know how much but at least you know you want it nobody's confused about that do you know how you're going to get it tell me that lest they should spoil it all by telling her miss blackadder increased her vehement pace you don't because you can't and i will tell you you won't get it by talking about it or by writing about it or by sitting down and thinking about it you'll get it by coming in with me coming in with the women's franchise union and fighting for it fighting women not talkers not writers not thinkers are what we want she sat down heaving a little with the ground swell of her storm amid applause in which only miss burstall and miss farmer did not join she was now looking extraordinarily handsome rosalind bent over and whispered something in her ear she rose to her feet again flushed smiling at them triumphant our chairwoman has reminded me that i came here to tell you what the programme of our union is and i can tell you in six words it's hell for leather and it's neck or nothing now said rosalind sweetly bowing towards miss burstall it's your turn we should like to know what you have to say miss burstall did not rise and in the end dorothea spoke my friend miss rosalind jervis assumed that we were all agreed not only as to our aims but as to our policy she has not yet discriminated between constitutional and unconstitutional means when we protested she quashed our protest we took exception to the phrase every means in our power because that would commit us to all sorts of unconstitutional things it is in my power to squirt water into the back of the prime minister's neck or to land a bomb in the small of his back or in the centre of the platform at his next public meeting we were left to conclude that the only differences between us would concern our choice of the squirt or the bomb as some of us here might equally object to using the bomb or the squirt i submit that either our protest should have been allowed or our agreement should not have been taken for granted at the start again miss maud blackadder in her sporting speech her heroic speech has not cleared the question 
she has appealed to us to come in without counting the cost but she has said nothing to convince us that when our account at our bank is overdrawn and we have declared war on all our male friends and relations and have left our comfortable homes and are all camping out on the open heath i repeat she has said nothing to convince us that the price we shall have paid is going to get us the thing we want she says that fighters are wanted and not talkers and writers and thinkers are we not then to fight with our tongues and with our brains is she leaving us anything but our bare fists she has told us that she rides straight and that she doesn't funk her fences but she has not told us what sort of country she is going to ride over nor where the fences are not what hell for leather and neck or nothing means we want meaning we want clearness and precision we have not been given it yet i would let all this pass if miss blackadder were not your colour sergeant is it fair to call for volunteers for raw recruits and not tell them precisely and clearly what services will be required of them how many dorothy glanced at the eleven realize that the leaders of your union mrs palmerston's suite and mrs blathwaite and miss angela blathwaite demand from its members blind unquestioning obedience maud blackadder jumped up i protest i too have the right to protest miss harrison calls me to order she tells me to be clear and precise will she be good enough to be clear and precise herself will she say whether she is with us or against us if she is not with us she is against us let her explain her position she sat down and rosalind rose miss harrison she said will explain her position to the committee later this is an open meeting till seven it is now five minutes to will any of you here she held the eleven with her eyes who were not present at the meeting in the town hall last monday hold up your hands no hands then you must all be aware of the object and the policy and the rules of the women's franchise union its members pledge themselves to help as far as they can the object of the union to support the decisions of their leaders to abstain from public and private criticisms of those decisions and of any words or actions of their leaders and to obey orders not blindly or unquestioningly but within the terms of their undertakings those of you who wish to join us will please write your names and addresses on the slips of white paper stating what kind of work you are willing to do and the amount of your subscription if you subscribe and hand your slips to the secretary at the door as you go out miss burstall and miss farmer went out miss blackadder counted one two eight of the eleven young girls signed and handed in the white slips at the door and went out three four miss blackadder reckoned that dorothea harrison's speech had cost her five recruits her own fighting speech had carried the eleven in a compact body to her side dorothea's speech had divided and scattered them again miss blackadder hurled her personality at the heads of audiences in the certainty that it would hit them hard that was what she was there for she knew that the women's franchise union relied on her to wring from herself the utmost spectacular effect and she did it every time she never once missed fire and dorothea harrison had come down on the top of her triumph and destroyed the effect of all her fire she had corrupted five recruits and supposing there was a secret program she had betrayed the women of the union to fourteen outsiders by giving it away treachery or no treachery dorothea harrison would have to pay for it everybody had gone except the members of the committee 
and phyllis desmond who waited for her friend maud blackadder dorothy remembered phyllis desmond now she was that art student girl that vera knew she had seen her at vera's house they had drawn round the table again miss blackadder and miss gilchrist conferred in whispers before we go said rosalind i propose that we ask miss dorothea harrison to be our vice-president miss gilchrist nodded to miss blackadder who rose it was her moment and i propose she said that before we invite miss harrison to be anything we ask her to define her position clearly and precisely she made a sign and the secretary was on her feet and first we must ask miss harrison to explain how she became possessed of the secret policy of the union which has never been discussed at any open meeting and is unknown to members of the general committee then said dorothy there is a secret policy you seem to know it we have the right to ask how you know unless you invented it dorothy faced them it was inconceivable that it should have happened that she should be standing there in the old schoolroom of her father's house while two strange women worried her she knew that her back was to the wall and that the blackadder girl had been on the watch for the last half hour to get her knife into her odd for she had admired the blackadder girl and her fighting gestures it was inconceivable that she should have to answer to that absurd committee for her honour it was inconceivable that rosalind her friend should not help her yet it had happened with all her platform eloquence rosalind couldn't for the life of her get out one heroic defending word from the moment when the gilchrist woman had pounced rosalind had simply sat and stared like a rabbit like a fish her mouth open for the word that would not come rosalind was afraid to stand up for her it was dreadful and it was funny to see rosalind looking like that and to realize the extent of her weakness and her obstinacy yet rosalind had not changed she was still the schoolgirl slacker who could never do a stroke of work until somebody had pushed her into it who could never leave off working until stopped by the same hand that had set her going her power to go and to let herself rip and the weakness that made her depend on dorothy to start her were the qualities that attracted dorothy to rosalind from the beginning but now she was the tool of the fighting suffrage women for if she wasn't a tool she was a machine her brain was a rapid docile mechanical apparatus for turning out bad imitations of mrs palmerston sweet and the two blathwaites her air of casual command half swagger half slouch her stoop and the thrusting forward of her face were copied sedulously from an admired model dorothy found her pitiable she was hypnotized by the blathwaites who worked her and would throw her away when she was of no more use she hadn't the strength to resist the pull and the grip and the drive of other people she couldn't even hold out against valentina gilchrist and maud blackadder rosalind would always be caught and spun round by any movement that was strong enough she was foredoomed to the vortex that was dorothy's fault it was she who had pushed and pulled the slacker in spite of her almost whining protest to the edge of the vortex and it was rosalind not dorothy who had been caught and sucked down into the swirl she whirled in it now and would go on whirling under the impression that her movements made it move the vortex fascinated dorothy even while she resisted it she liked the feeling of her own power to resist to keep her head to beat up against the rush of the whirlwind to wheel round and round outside it and swerve away before the thing got her 
for dorothy was afraid of the feminist vortex as her brother michael had been afraid of the little vortex of school she was afraid of the herded women she disliked the excited faces and the high voices skirling their battle cries and the silly business of committees and the platform slang she was sick and shy before the tremor and the surge of collective feeling she loathed the gestures and the movements of the collective soul the swaying and heaving and rushing forward of the many as one she would not be carried away by it she would keep the clearness and hardness of her soul it was her soul they wanted these women of the union the blathwaites and the palmerston sweets and rosalind and the blackadder girl and the gilchrist woman they ran out after her like a hungry pack yelping for her soul and she was not going to throw it to them she would fight for freedom but not in their way and not at their bidding she was her brother michael refusing to go to the party refusing to run with the school herd holding out for his private soul against other people who kept him from remembering only michael did not hold out he ran away she would stay on the edge of the vortex fascinated by its danger and resisting but as she looked at them at rosalind with her open mouth at the blackadder girl who was scowling horribly and at valentina gilchrist sceptical and quizzical she laughed the three had been trying to rush her and because they couldn't rush her they were questioning her honour she had asked them plainly for a plain meaning and their idea of apt repartee was to pretend to question her honour perhaps they really did question it she didn't care she loathed their excited silly hurrying suspicion but she didn't care it was she who had drawn them and led them on to this display of incomparable idiocy like her brother nicholas she found that adversity was extremely funny and she laughed she was no longer michael she was nicky not caring delighting in her power to fool them you think she said i'd no business to find out your knowledge would certainly have been mysterious said the secretary unless at least two confidences had been betrayed supposing there had been any secret policy well you see i don't know it and i didn't invent it and i didn't find it out precisely your secret policy is the logical conclusion of your present policy i deduced it that's all anybody could have done the same does that satisfy you they won't love me any better for making them look fools thank you said miss gilchrist we only wanted to be sure the dinner bell rang as dorothy was defining her position i'll work for you i'll speak for you i'll write for you i'll fight for you i'll make hay of every government meeting if i can get in without lying and sneaking for it i'll go to prison for you if i can choose my own crime but i won't give up my liberty of speech and thought and action i won't pledge myself to obey your orders i won't pledge myself not to criticize policy i disapprove of i won't come on your committee and i won't join your union is that clear and precise enough somebody clapped and somebody said hear hear and somebody said go it dorothy it was anthony and francis and captain drayton who paused outside the door on their way to the dining-room and listened basely they were all going now dorothy stood at the door holding it open for them glad that it was all over only phyllis desmond the art student lingered dorothy reminded her that they had met at her aunt vera harrison's house the art student smiled i wondered when you were going to remember i did but they all called you desmond that's what put me out everybody calls me desmond you had a brother or something with you hadn't you 
I might have had two. Which? Michael's got green eyes and yellow hair. Nicky's got blue eyes and black hair. It was Nicky. Nice name. Then. Desmond's beauty stirred in its sleep. The film of air was lifted from her black eyes. I'm dining with Mrs. Harrison tonight, she said. You'll be late, then. It doesn't matter. Lawrence Stevens never there till after eight. She won't dine without him. Dorothy stiffened. She did not like that furtive betrayal of Vera and Lawrence Stephen. I wish you'd come and see me at my rooms in Chelsea, and bring your brother. Not the green and yellow one, the blue and black one. Dorothy took the card on which Desmond had scribbled an address, but she did not mean to go and see her. She wasn't sure that she liked Desmond. Rosalind stayed on to dine with Dorothy's family. She was no longer living with her own family, for Mrs. Jervis was hostile to women's franchise. She had rooms off the Strand, not far from the headquarters of the Union. Frances looked a little careworn. She had been sent for to Granny's house to see what could be done with Aunt Emmeline, and had found, as usual, that nothing could be done with her. In the last three years, the second Miss Fleming had become less and less enthusiastic, and more and more emphatic, till she ceased from enthusiasm altogether and carried emphasis beyond the bounds of sanity. She had become, as Frances put it, extremely tiresome. It was not accurate to say, as Mrs. Fleming did, that you never knew when Emmeline would start a nervous crisis, for as a matter of fact you could time her to a minute. It was her habit to wait till her family was absorbed in some urgent affair that diverted attention from her case, and then to break out alarmingly. Dorothy was generally sent for to bring her round, but today it was Dorothy who had important things on hand. Aunt Emmeline had scented the suffrage meeting from afar, and had made arrangements beforehand for a supreme crisis that would take all the shine out of Dorothy's affair. When Frances said that Aunt Emmy had been tiresome again, Dorothy knew what she meant. For Aunt Emmy's idea was that her sisters persecuted her, that Edie was jealous of her and hated her, that Louie had always trampled on her and kept her under, that Frances had used her influence with Granny to spoil all her chances one after another. It was all Frances's fault that Vera Harrison had come between her and Major Cameron. Frances had encouraged Vera in her infamous intrigue, and between them they had wrecked two lives, and they had killed Major Cameron. Since Ferdy's death, Emmeline Fleming had lived most of the time in a sort of dream in which it seemed to her that those things had really happened. This afternoon she had been more than usually tiresome. She had simply raved. You should have brought her round to the meeting, said Dorothy, and let her rave there. I'd back Aunt Emmeline against Maud Blackadder. I wish, Rosalind, you'd leave off making faces and kicking my shins. You needn't worry any more, Mummy Ducky. I'm going to rope them all into the suffrage movement. Aunt Edie can distribute literature, Aunt Louie can interrupt like anything, and Aunt Emmeline can shout and sing. I think, Dorothy, said Rosalind, with weak bitterness, that you might have stuck by me. The two were walking down East Heath Road to the tram lines where the motor buses started for Charing Cross. It was you who dragged me into it, and the least you could do was to stick. Why didn't you keep quiet instead of forcing our hands? I couldn't keep quiet. I'll go with you straight, or I won't go with you at all. You know what's the matter with you? It's your family. You'll never be any good to us. You'll never be any good to yourself till you've chucked them and got away. For years, ever since you've been born, you've simply been stewing there in the family juice 
until you're soaked with it. You oughtn't to be living at home. You ought to be on your own, like me. You're talking rot, Rosalind. If my people were like yours, I'd have to chuck them, I suppose. But they're not. They're angels. That's why they're so dangerous. They couldn't influence you if they weren't angels. They don't influence me the least little bit. I'd like to see them try. They're much too clever. They know I'd be off like a shot if they did. Why, they let me do every mortal thing I please. Turn the schoolroom into a meeting hall for your friends to play the devil in? That blackadder girl was yelling the house down, and yet they didn't say anything. And your people aren't as bad as you make out, you know. You couldn't live on your own if your father didn't give you an allowance. I like Mrs. Jervis. Because she likes you. Well, that's a reason. It isn't the reason why I like my own mother, because she doesn't like me so very much. That's why she lets me do what I like. She doesn't care enough to stop me. She only really cares for Dad and John and Nicky and Michael. Rosalind looked fierce and stubborn. That's what's the matter with all of you, she said. What is? Caring like that. It's all sex. Sex instinct. Sex feeling. Maud's right. It's what we're up against all the time. Dorothy said to herself, that's what's the matter with Rosalind if she only knew it. Rosalind loved Michael, and Michael detested her, and Nicky didn't like her very much. She always looked fierce and stubborn when she heard Michael's name. Rosalind went on. When it comes to sex, you don't revolt, you sit down. I do revolt. I'm revolting now. I go much farther than you do. I think the marriage laws are rotten. I think divorce ought to be for incompatibility. I think love isn't love and can't last unless it's free. I think marriage ought to be abolished, not yet, perhaps, but when we become civilized. It will be. It's bound to be. As it is, I think every woman has a right to a baby if she wants one. If Emmeline had had a baby, she wouldn't be devastating us now. That's what you think, but it isn't what you feel. It's all thinking with you, Dorothy. The revolt goes on in your brain. You'll never do anything. It isn't that you haven't the courage to go against your men. You haven't the will. You don't want to. Why should I? What do they do? Father and Michael and Nicky don't interfere with me any more than Mother does. You know I'm not thinking of them. They don't really matter. Who are you thinking of, then? Frank Drayton? You needn't. It was mean of Rosalind to hit below the belt like that when she knew that she was safe. Michael had never been brought against her and never would be. It was disgusting of her to imply that Dorothy's state of mind was palpable, when her own, though sufficiently advertised by her behavior, had received from Michael's sister the consecration of silence as a secret tragic thing. They had reached the tram lines. At the sight of the Charing Cross bus, Rosalind assumed an air of rollicking, adventurous travel. My hat! What an evening! I shall have a ripping ride down. Don't say there's no room on the top. Cheer up, Dorothy! which showed that Rosalind Jervis was a free woman, suggested that life had richer thrills than marrying Dorothy's brother Michael, and fixed the detested imputation securely on her friend. Dorothy watched her as she swung herself onto the footboard and up the stair of the motor bus. There was room on the top. Rosalind, in fact, had the top all to herself. As Dorothy crossed the heath again in the twilight, she saw something white on the terrace of her father's house. Her mother was waiting for her. She thought at first that Aunt Emmeline had gone off her head and that she had been sent for to keep her quiet. She gloried in their dependence on her. 
but no that wasn't likely her mother was just watching for her as she used to watch for her and the boys when they were little and had been sent across the heath to granny's house with a message and at the sight and memory of her mother dorothy felt a childish sick dissatisfaction with herself and with her day and an absurd longing for the tranquillity and safety of the home whose chief drawback lately had been that it was too tranquil and too safe she could almost have told her mother how they had all gone for her and how rosalind had turned out rotten and how beastly it had all been almost but not quite dorothy had grown up and she was there to protect and not to be protected however agreeable it might have been to confide in her mother it wouldn't have done frances met her at the garden door she had been crying nicky's come home she said nicky he's been sent down whatever for darling i can't possibly tell you but in the end she did end of part two chapter eleven recording by expatriate in bangor maine